God's Road Grace Church would like to invite you to listen to a sermon by our pastor, Todd Nybert. We are located at 4137 Todd's Road, two miles outside of Manowar Boulevard. Sunday services are at 1030 a.m. and 6 p.m. Bible study is at 945 a.m. Wednesday services are at 7 p.m. Nursery is provided for all services. For more information, visit our website at toddsroadgracechurch.com. Now here's our pastor, Todd Nybert. I've entitled this message, The Evidential If. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6, we, we read that Christ was the son over his own house, whose house are we if we hold the beginning of our confidence firm unto the end. Now, what is the evidence that we are the house of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. In verse 14 of the same chapter, we read, For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. The only evidence that we are truly partakers of Jesus Christ is if we hold the beginning of our confidence all the way to the end. Here's a very similar scripture found in Colossians 1, 22 and 23, where every believer is said to be holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. This is by the work of Christ. Think of how complete this is. Every believer in God's sight is holy, unblameable, and unreprovable if we be not moved from the hope of the gospel. What is the evidence that we're holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight? If we're not moved from the hope of the gospel, but continue in the faith, grounded and settled. The evidential if. I remember hearing someone make this statement. If they arrested people for being a Christian, would they have enough evidence to convict you? It's a good question. I hope someone does not hear that question and start trying to measure how good and holy they are so they can figure out whether or not they're really saved. If that's what you did, that's not what I meant. But there is evidence. These evidential ifs. Now, let me make this statement. If this is conditions that need to be met before I can be a Christian, I won't be a Christian. Conditional. What if these were conditional ifs? What does conditional mean? Well, it means something can only take place if some certain conditions are met. For instance, if I said to you, I will give $100 to you 
If you are over seven feet tall, well, there's a condition that must first be met. You have to be seven feet tall before you'll get that hundred dollars. I figure there's not that many seven feet tall people, so I ought to be pretty safe with that. But uh, what if I said uh, you will not be saved unless you first stop being proud? If you commit the sin of being pride, you cannot be saved. You've got to stop having that pride and arrogancy. Now, that's a condition you must meet before God will save you. A conditional salvation. Now, 99% of the churches that I know of preach a conditional salvation. You must first do this before God will save you. You must first accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You must first, as an act of your free will, decide to believe. You must first repent of your sins. You must first fill in the blank before God can save you. That is a conditional salvation. And my dear friend, that is salvation by works. You know, this notion that God loves everybody. Jesus Christ died for everybody. God wants to save everybody. But he can't save us unless we first fill in the blank, whatever that might be. That is salvation by works. That's salvation dependent upon something that we do. Just the idea of free will. It's up to me as to whether or not I'll be saved. That makes salvation dependent upon your choice. That is salvation by works. Now let me give you two problems, insurmountable problems with the conditional salvation. Here's the first insurmountable problem. Bible doesn't teach that. And here's the second problem. A man dead in sins cannot meet any conditions. If I said to a dead man, if you get up, I'll give you a million dollars. But you've got to first get up. What good would that do? Nothing. He can't get up. A man dead in sins cannot do the requirements of the gospel. He has to be given life. So with regard to a conditional salvation, the Bible doesn't teach it. And men cannot meet the conditions because they're dead in sins. If you give them some conditions, they must first meet before God can save them. Now, God's salvation is unconditional. As far as contributions the sinner has to make before he can be saved. Now, there are conditions that must be met. All of God's attributes have to be honored. He cannot save in a way that would violate any of his attributes. All of his attributes must be exalted. Those conditions must be met. Uh, in that sense, salvation is not unconditional. God's love is not unconditional. Somebody says, God, God's love is unconditional. No, it's not. If God loves you, it's because you're in Christ. It's because you're lovely in Christ. Uh, God's love is drawn to you because you're in Christ. There's no such thing as unconditional love. But with regard to any works we perform, every aspect of God's salvation is completely unconditional. Um, what does unconditional mean? It means that there are no conditions that must first be met for God to save the sinner. 
as far as the sinner doing something. Here's a glorious example of this. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 5, David's giving his dying words. Uh, he's been alive for 70 years. He's getting ready to die. He's experienced a lot. He's the sweet psalmist of Israel. He's the man whom God said was a man after my own heart. What greater commendation can there be than that? Hear his testimony. Although, 2 Samuel 23, 5, although my house be not so with God, yet hath he made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things, and sure, this is all my salvation and all my desire, though he make it not to grow. Now, those are the words of King David. When he says, although my house be not so with God, it was true. His house, as far as his family, was a mess. And God said it would be. He had murder. He had rape. He had every bad thing that you could think of going on with his own children and his own wives. There were all kinds of problems. And God said it would be that way. He said, the sword shall never depart from your house. But there were believers in his house. It couldn't be said unequivocally that there were no believers in his house. Abigail was. Bathsheba was. When he's speaking of his house, he's talking about his person. Quite often in the scriptures, the body is called the house. The house. The house of my soul. Although this house be not so with God, David was aware of his sin. Every breath he took he realized was sin. He said, my sin is ever before me. He said, I was shaped in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. He knew something about his sin. And he knew because of that, there wasn't any condition he could meet if it was up to him meeting some kind of condition before God could do anything for him. But listen to his words. Although my house be not so with God, yet hath he made with me an everlasting covenant. Now, this is a unilateral covenant. He didn't say, I'll do this if you do that. He said, I will do this and you shall do that. This is a unilateral covenant. It's not dependent upon David meeting some condition. It's God saying he would do it. And it's an everlasting covenant. It was made before time began before David had any good works or bad works. Like Romans 9, 11 says, For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. Uh, this covenant is ordered in all things, and sure, there's no way I can be anything but saved if God's entered in covenant to save me. And... This is all my salvation, David says. It's not 99% of it, it's all of it. This everlasting covenant he made with me, ordered in all things. And it's all my desire. I don't want anything else. And then he ends with this statement, though he make it not to grow. What does that mean? This salvation is so sure, so complete, that it knows no growth. It's perfect, it's infinite, it's glorious, it's not going to grow. Now this is not talking about growth in grace. This is talking about growing in acceptance with God or God to come to love you more or you to be more holy in God's sight. This salvation cannot grow because we're complete 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is of the Lord. Every aspect of God's salvation is unconditional. I want to read a verse of scripture from Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 5. Even so then, Paul says, at this present time, there is a remnant, a small number of believers, according to the election of grace. Now somebody says, why just a remnant? Because God said it. (laughs) You'll have to ask him about that. And he said it in his word, and I love it. You know, the Lord did say, many shall go in in at the wide gate that leads to destruction, and few go in at the straight gate. That was true then, it's true now. God's people upon the earth have always been a minority, a remnant, but it's a remnant according to the election of grace. Oh, I love that term, the election of grace. And if by grace, verse 6, then it's no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it's no more of grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Let me read it like this. And it's saying the same thing. If by grace, then it's no more of conditions. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of conditions, some condition you must first meet, then it's no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Otherwise, condition is no more condition. Now, grace is unconditional. By grace are you saved. Not by grace will you be saved if you fill in the blank. By grace you are saved. Through faith. And that faith, it's not of yourselves. It's not you meeting some kind of condition in order for you to have faith. That faith itself is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Election, God's choice of his people before time began is unconditional election. He didn't look to see if you met the conditions as to whether or not he could save you. Unconditional election. Let me quote, quote that scripture again. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. The forgiveness of sins is unconditional. You do not do something in order to get the forgiveness of sins. When you're forgiven, you find out you've been forgiven. There wasn't some work you performed. See, salvation begins with the forgiveness of sins. It doesn't end with the forgiveness of sins. If you do this, this, and this, then you'll be forgiven. No, it begins with the complete, free, full forgiveness of sins. Justification is unconditional. You don't do something in order to become justified. God justifies you for Christ's sake. Repentance is his gift. Repentance is not some work you perform in order to get him to respond to you. Then hath to the Gentiles God granted repentance unto life. It's the gift of God. Our perseverance is us persevering by being kept by the power of God through faith into salvation. Our growth, our growth is growth in grace. Paul put it this way in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God that worketh in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. Now, if there's one single condition I had to meet in order for me to be saved, if there's something I had to do before God could do something for me, 
If there were one single sin I had to get the victory over before God would show me mercy, I would have no hope of being saved. And whether you know it or not, you wouldn't either. But thank God, salvation is unconditional. The scripture says all the promises of God in him are yea and amen to the glory of God by us. Let me give you one scripture that will emphasize this. Psalm 106, beginning in verse 6, the psalmist says, We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. And that's quite a confession of sin. He doesn't try to make it less than it is. He said, we've sinned with our fathers. We've committed iniquity. We've done wickedly. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. They were an ungrateful people. They were a forgetting people. They were a provoking people. Now listen to this verse. Nevertheless, in spite of how wicked they were, nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake. Not because they met some condition, but he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power known. God doesn't have to have a reason in you to save you. He does it for his name's sake. Salvation is unconditional. Question. Does that kind of thinking lead to fatalism and indifference? Does this lead to apathy? Does this lead to sin? After all, our sins can't prevent us from being saved. God doesn't need a reason in us to be saved so we can sin all we want. Let us sin that grace may abound. Um, is this an excuse for indifference and licentiousness? After all, our sins don't matter. As far as salvation goes, He can save us unconditionally. Is that the response? It's not the response of the believer. It may be indeed the response of the unbeliever, but it's not the response of the believer. Thy people shall be willing volunteers in the day of thy power. What is the evidence of someone being willing or volunteers his people? Because they're willing in the day of his power. Now, I want to give you some scriptures that speak of this evidential if. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, after the Lord had taught us how to pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now the Lord only made one comment about this prayer. Here it is. If you forgive, you'll be forgiven. If you don't forgive, you will not be forgiven. And those were the words of the Lord. If I refuse in my heart to forgive, I will not be forgiven. Now people agonize over that. What's the Lord say? If you refuse to forgive, you will not be forgiven. If you forgive, you will be forgiven. Now, does that mean my forgiveness is dependent upon me forgiving somebody? No, it doesn't. It means this. If I am forgiven, here is the evidence. I will forgive. If I refuse to forgive, I know nothing of the forgiveness of God. In John chapter 17, verse 7, or John chapter 7, verse 17, the Lord said, If any man will do his will, there's that if, that evidential if, if any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God. Now, if anyone in their heart desires to do God's will, that's their desire. Uh, their prayer is, Thy will be done. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. I want my will to be conformed to his will. I want him to get rid of my will and make my will his will. That's my great desire. If any man will do his will, he'll know the doctrine, whether it be of God. Now, if I believe false doctrine, it's because I chose to believe false doctrine. And it has something to do with an unwillingness on my part to do his will. Now, if I believe that which God doesn't say in his word, it's because of my own perverse unwillingness to do his will. A sinful motive is always behind the belief of that which is not true. Now, if you believe what's true, you believe it because it's true. If you believe what's false, you choose to believe that which is false. And it has something to do with an unwillingness to do his will. What is the evidence of believing the truth? Well, underneath it, there's a new heart, a new spirit, that there's a willingness to do his will. John chapter 8, verse 31, the Lord said, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Now, the only way we're true disciples, here's the evidence that we're true disciples. Here's the evidence that God has done something for me. If I continue in his word. That is the evidential if. The Lord said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter, he shall be saved. Now what is the evidence that God has saved me? I enter only by the door. I don't come some other way. The only way I come into God's presence is Christ alone. I don't plead anything else. I look to Christ only. He's my only way to the Father. 
He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father, but by me, I come only by him. And that's the evidence that God has saved me. John eleven forty, we read where Jesus saith unto her, speaking to Martha, says, I not unto thee that if thou wouldst believe, thou should see the glory of God. Now, the only way you'll see the glory of God is if you believe. The evidence of having seen the glory of God is believing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 15, verse 14, the Lord said, You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. There's the evidential if. We're his friends if we do what he commands. Now listen to this. First John 3, 23. This is his commandment, that we believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another as he gave us commandment. Now listen to me. I do believe on the name of his Son. I believe his name is the, is, he's God. Uh, every attribute of God is behind his name. I'm relying on his name. When it says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm calling upon his name. I'm calling upon his attributes. Lord, save me by your will. Save me by a sovereign act. Save me by your justice. Save me by your grace. Save me by your power. Save me by your wisdom. I believe on his name. And oh, anybody who loves him who loves his salvation. I love them. Now that is the evidence that I really am one of his friends. I'm doing what he commands. Romans 10, 9 says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, thou shalt be saved. And believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Well, what is the evidence that I'm saved? I really believe he's Lord. And I am completely relying that God raised him from the dead and that's all God requires of me. Paul said, if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Now, if I believe in conditions, you need to be circumcised. You need to do this. You need to do that. You can forget Christ. He will profit you nothing. Colossians 1.13 says, if any man have... um, be forbearing and forgiving. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so do also ye. How did Christ forgive you? Freely. And if he has, you're to forgive your brother just like that. Now, this, there are many others in the scripture. Obviously, I don't have time to deal with them all. But these are evidential ifs. Salvation is completely unconditional. And the evidence that he has unconditionally saved you is by me and you demonstrating these evidential ifs. Um, But here's something I want to end with. I love this. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Those are the words of Christ. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me for mercy, for grace. I will in no wise, for no reason, cast out. What a promise of grace. May the Lord enable me and you to have these evidential ifs seen 
in coming to Christ as our all in salvation. To receive a copy of the sermon you have just heard, send your request to todd.nibert at gmail.com or you may write or call the church at the information provided on the screen. 